Acts chapter 1 and also Matthew chapter 28. And I'm going to read those two places. The, the, uh, the Great Commission is mentioned in several places. But uh, I want to give you several things. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to talk about this morning. I want to teach you uh, about giving. And I am not a fundraiser, but I want to raise your expectations about what God says about world evangelization. Uh, as I said on the first night, I'm not here, and, and of course your church is not here to pick your pocket. It's to prepare your heart. And, and, and that's really important. Uh, I don't believe that people who are provoked by men to give will give very long. <laughs> but I believe if God, I mean, I don't give because of men. I give because God has uh, got my heart. You know, I, the, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 8, uh, to encourage the Corinthians to give a gift that they had promised to give to help the church at Jerusalem a year before, and they hadn't kept their promise. Here's how he motivated them. He says, I can't command you to do this. I speak not by commandment because of the forwardness of others. And to prove the sincerity of your love, that's a heart. He said, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Now, if that does not cause you to want to give to what Jesus gave his life for, then you won't give. And so it's all about our hearts. I'm going to talk to you about the dogma of giving. I want to talk to you about the dimensions of giving. I want to give you the dynamics of giving. And I want to end very quickly with the dilemma of giving. All these. That's so I can remember it. <laughs> now, dogma. Do you know what dogma is? A fellow's dogmatic about something. It means that that's the way it is. It, there's, no, there's no flexibility there. Are you with me? With me? So when we talk about the dogma of giving, is the Bible dogmatic about giving? Now, I think all of us are practical enough to believe that, that uh, if we are commanded to go into all the world and preach the gospel, that there's a cost involved in that. I mean, the gospel's free, but it's going to cost to get it there. I mean, missionaries have needs like you and I have. You either have to go or send a substitute. And I'm going to show you that we're commanded to go even though we're here. And how can you do that unless you send a substitute? I, I do not, if somebody would explain to me how you can do that and be responsible for the world from one place, uh, I would listen to them. But I cannot find any other way to, to do that other than to support the 140 missionaries partially, whatever I give, split between them in my church. I don't know how else to do it. Just give me, give me, a, give me a formula. And I would try to do it. But I believe that is the way to do it. I'm going to read Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus has given the Great Commission to his disciples before he sends up into heaven. And he says this, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Both. You see that word, both? The Greek word, the way you pronounce it, is T. Just like T-E. It literally means in addition to, in connection with. Right. All right? Both. Get what he says now. 
But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Let me ask you a question. Is that more than one place at the same time? In addition to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. How are you going to do that? I don't know about you, but uh, Dr. John Halsey is preaching for me in Chesapeake, Virginia, Great Hope Baptist Church, all right? And he's going to be preaching in about an hour. The bottom line, or half an hour, the bottom line is I can't be there and be here at the same time, all right? But I am represented there, and I am represented in Japan, okay? I'm represented in Korea. I am represented in many countries in Africa. I am represented by five missionaries in Brazil. I am represented in South America and other places, Chile. I'm represented in a lot of places, and that's just a few of the countries. We, we support missionaries in 80 countries out of our church. And the bottom line is, what I'm trying to say is both. That's, that's dogmatic, okay? And you're going to see that in just a moment. Now, the word power here, and what I need to do is flip over to Matthew 20, uh, 28 for just a moment because I want to make sure you see the parallel here. This is why I'm using two passages that deal with the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28 and look at, if you will please, at verses 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Go back to verse 18. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power. See that word power? It's the word we get dynamite from, dunamis. And it means might and strength. And so, uh, basically, uh, excuse me, I got that wrong. If you go back to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, uh, but ye shall receive power. That's dunamis. I'm sorry. I got it mixed up. Dunamis. That's power and strength. In other words, uh, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both, same time, in addition to, in connection with, at the same time, in Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, and unto the most, uttermost parts of the earth. That word means that God gives us the ability to do it, all right? We have power from what? The Holy Spirit of God. You've got to be saved to carry out the Great Commission. So, that word power is different than the word power over in Matthew chapter 28. It says here, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power. That word is ekousia. It literally means authority. So get it. He says, I've given you the ability to do this, That's right. and I have given you the authority to do this. Right. We do not have to ask permission from people to witness. Amen. We do not have to say, can I witness to you? Now, I will be honest with you. When I'm in an uh, um, elevator, and I'm alone with a person, I usually do this. I'll, I'll say something just to break the ice. I'll get in, and I'll say, hey, you, if you buy the gas for this thing, I'll drive it. And they laugh, and they say, okay. I said, I think we're both in pretty good shape because it doesn't burn gas, and I think it runs itself. And then after, before we get to the next floor, I'll say, 
Can I ask you a question? Now, I ask for permission to ask them a question. Now, if they say yes, uh, they certainly can't get upset because they've told me I could ask them a question. And I will say something like this. I'll pull out this little track I've got, which it says a good friend to have. That's positive, isn't it? And I'll say, how do you plan to get to heaven from here? <laughs> and it baffles them. They go, well, I said, well, listen, I know we don't have much time. I said, if you don't have any plans, I met a good friend 49 years ago that I can recommend. And I give that to them. I have never had anyone not take that track. I think it's a good approach. I've taught my people to do that. Now, I'm just the kind of guy who can talk to anything. And so by breaking the ice about, I, I do that so many times. My wife knows. She says, oh, no, he's going to do it again. You know? <laughs> I'll get on an elevator and I'll say, uh, they'll, they'll say, what floor? I said, I'll tell you what, if you drive, I'll buy the gas. And they laugh. And I've already broke the ice. What I'm trying to say is I don't have to ask permission to witness. I have that authority from God, and I have been given the power to do that, the ability. All right, you with me? And so that's the great commission in those two passages. Now, what I want to ask the question is, is the great commission an option for the local church and for you as a believer? Is it an option or is it a command? Look at Matthew 28 again, and I said this the first night, but I want to say it again. Go ye, verse 19, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. You know, verbs matter. Nouns, subjects matter. Nouns matter. That, that the, the uh, uh, pronoun there, ye, is first person singular. Therefore, it's talking about the individual. You with me? Ye. The word go... The word go is in the present tense. Go now. Go right now. It's not next week. You know, you can't put this off. It's in the active voice. Now, what that means is, just simply, not to be too technical, is that the subject, ye, does the action. Ye, first person singular, ye, me, every individual, go now. It's in the imperative mood. Go is in the imperative mood. You say, what does that mean? Well, when I tell my son, I don't say to my son, and he's not home now, so when he was a little boy, I, I didn't say, John, would you please go take the trash out? That's not in the imperative. Or will you? That's a question. No, I said, John, take the trash out. And, and, and you could tell in my tone of voice it really wasn't a suggestion. The imperative is a command. It's a command. So we are commanded to go individually into all the world and preach the gospel, Acts 1-8, both at the same time in Minster and in Japan and in Korea and in Kazakhstan and, and, and Nepal and India, and all of these places. How are you going to do it? Somebody says, that's difficult. No, it isn't. It's impossible. <laughs> it's impossible. And you can't afford it. He said, well, why are we here in a missions conference? Because God can. Yeah. 
And in 2 Corinthians 9, the premise of grace giving, and by the way, that's the same passage where Paul is, is challenging the Corinthians to make good a promise they made a year before. He's trying, to, he's trying to convince them that they ought to make good their promise to help the church do them. And he said this, Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful. That's a hilarious giver. All right? Notice he said, every man according as he purposes his heart. You know it's not a tithe. can't be a tithe because a tithe is 10%. Okay? You don't have to purpose in your heart. You have to purpose in your heart to obey God, but you don't have to make up your mind what you're going to give. It's 10%. So he's talking about another offering, a grace offering. He's talking about a, a, an, an offering uh, to uh, beyond the regular offering or a tithe. He says, Every man according to his purpose in his heart. But then he tells him how they're going to do it. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound, go forward, unto every good work. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God can. You can't, but God can. You see, folks, you need to understand God wants you to be a channel in which he can direct funds through you to finance his program of world evangelization. Now, your pastor talked about, I made a $2 promise over 40 years ago as a 21-year-old man. And I didn't, I mean, I didn't even understand it. But the preacher preached it. He'd already got me to tithe. And I thought, man, I, I can't do that, let alone this. <laughs> I mean, really, I, I mean, I just like, I mean, I, I just getting started, man. And I, it's been the greatest journey of my life for faith. I mean, really, if you tie finances to something, it does cause you to be serious about it, right? I mean, we're talking about our security, our living, what we do, and that whether we're going to have enough to, you know, uh, make it. You know, all, all that runs through our minds. I, I was just like you. And the bottom line is, I, have, you know, I didn't have a family to take care of at that time. I was single. And so the bottom line is, I've grown in faith over the years. I, it amazes me, the journey. And I, I, I appreciate the fact that I got started years ago. It's, I, I'll just say this. I won't tell you what we give. I don't call it a bill. I call it my biggest blessing. The electric bill is a bill. It's not a blessing. <laughs> All right? And you know what I mean? And, and, and they're going to make me give it, right? They're, they're going to say... They're going to come and turn it off. And I've never had them to call me and say, we're so thankful you sent your, your money. <laughs> they don't do that. I mean, they just come and turn the electricity off or the water off. But you know what? Nobody makes me to give my faith promise except I know the grace of Jesus Christ. Okay? I've experienced that. That for, that he, he, he came and he died. He became poor that I might be made rich spiritually. So, what am I saying? I spent a lot of time on that. The dogma, it's dogmatic. It's not a suggestion. I want you to get, get that out of the way because uh, uh, I want to talk to you about the dimensions of giving. That's the dogma of giving, dogmatic. Can't get past the responsibility for it. The dimensions. Now, let me say this about a tithe. The tithe is 10%. That's a starting point. The tithe is a debt you owe. It belongs to God. That's what the Bible says. 
Faith promise, or the Bible term is grace giving, is a seed that you sow. Did you hear that? Tithing is a debt you owe. Faith promise is a seed you sow. The first way we give is the tithe. Proverbs 3, 9 says, tells us that, uh, uh, that, uh, uh, that if we give, God will bless. All right? Go over to Proverbs 3, 5 for just a moment. It's an interesting, interesting little statement. It says, honor the Lord with thy substance. That's talking about things, right? And the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst forth with new wine. Mark that verse. Honor the Lord with thy first fruit. You know, if, if you don't give God off the top 10%, you don't honor him. You honor God. Now, everybody says, well, I love the Lord. Really? 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 Show me the money. I mean, I'm just serious. I mean, I mean, you know, show me where your heart is. You know, it, it, it's just so practical. Nobody wants to be challenged that way about money. But it's true. By the way, if you think money is bad, it's not bad. It's a great tool. Yeah. I'm glad I have some to use. The bottom line is, it's a great, it's a great tool, a lousy master. And uh, the, the, the bottom line is that, that there are 35 parables in the, in the New Testament and 16 of them are about money. Apparently, Jesus believed that, that uh, without substance or putting money to what we are, are caught, if there's no cost to it, then there's not a whole lot to it. John Henry Jowett said, the ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. There is a cost factor to everything. We don't, we don't think about uh, worry about things when uh, we, go, we go down to the grocery store. We go down. We plan to spend because we're going to eat. We'll, we'll at least, least think the same way about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So the tithe is 10%. Okay? Honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of, first fruits of all thine increase. What? And he promises, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty, thy precious shall burst out with new wine. The next way we give there's three kinds of offerings. There's the tithe, and then there's the offerings. It says tithes and offerings. You say, what is an offering? Uh, a tithe has to be continual because the work of the ministry here of the church, it takes care of that, everything here. So it has to be consistent, right? But offerings do not have to be consistent. Offerings are like, for instance, your, your roof gets torn off. It's not in the budget. You say, look, we've got to put a roof on. We're going to get wet. And they take up a special offering, and you put a roof on. You do it one time. You may do a lot of those over a history of a church. Maybe if the van breaks down, you say, look, we, we didn't know we were going to have to buy a van. It's not in the budget. And so you do that. Or somebody, somebody has a heart, goes on hard times, and you say, look, we're going to take a special offering for Brother So-and-So. Been out of work for three weeks. His wife's sick. He's been sick. And we're going to do that. That's an offering, Okay. That's not consistent. That's based on an objective. All right? So you have tithes, and then you have, these are the dimensions of giving. But then you've got grace giving. Now, we call it faith promise so you can understand. But it's not in the Bible. The word grace is, in fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, where we take the principles of faith promise, the word grace is used about five or six times there, and it's talking about giving. Every time it mentions grace, all right? 
Uh, and, and we may see that before the lesson's over. But it's, it's grace. It's grace giving. And that's how we support our missionaries. That's the way we reach the world. Now, what is the limit to that? The tithe of the limit is 10% of whatever you make or increase. Uh, the offering is whatever you give in the offering for that particular time, for that objective. Grace giving has to be consistent too because the missionary's needs are consistent. You understand? And so it's, it, we meet the missionary's needs. And so that's, that's the thing you need to see. That's the dimensions of giving in the New Testament. You have the tithe, you have offerings occasionally if you have a need, and you have grace giving. The tithe before the ministry here has to be consistent. Grace, it has to be consistent because those missionaries have needs. And they have a work, a work fund, and they have to rent a building, or they have to get materials. They're not only taking care of their family, they're taking care of a ministry somewhere, uh, a church. Let me talk to you about the dynamics of giving. And what time do I need to be in? 1020 would be good. Okay, I'm good. I'm on target. I'm okay. That's not, that's not normal for me, but I'm doing okay. All right, and so we got the dog, dogma of giving. It's not a suggestion. And we have the dimensions of giving, but what about the dynamics of giving? This might be a little bit more of a lesson for you. What are the dynamics of giving? Well, uh, giving is possible for all. Now, I want you to go to 2 Corinthians for just a moment. We're going to hang out there for the rest of the time, all right? 2 Corinthians. And I'm sure your pastor's taught on 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Because what you have in this passage, chapters 8 and 9, is a challenge. You have the example or the testimony of the Macedonian churches, that's Philippi and Thessalonica, and how they gave to their power and beyond their power. To their power is what they could afford, but it was a sacrifice because they were poor churches. Beyond their power meant they had to trust God for it. And it's called grace. Verse 1, it says, More of a brother we do you to wit, the witness, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Now, if you don't believe this, is, this grace is giving, the word bestowed is didomy. Didomy means to give. The grace to give. And so, they, they, they were, he was talking about a gift, and then he talks about how that they gave out of deep poverty and great affliction. And in verse 3, for to their power, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're at, for to their power I bear a record, I bear a record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing to themselves. And it goes on and on. They gave, and he uses them as an example and testimony to the Corinthians who had made a promise a year before which had provoked the Macedonians to give in the first place. But they have made good their promise. In fact, if you look at verse, verse 10, he says, And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient, is to your advantage, for you who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Look at chapter 9. Look at verse 2. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia, Achaia is the province where Corinth was at, located, was ready, here it is, a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. So what is he saying? He's saying, uh, you need to give this, this, this gift that you've promised. Now, that's the context. But what I want to show you, the first dynamic of giving, is giving is possible for everyone. Everyone can give. Look at verse 7 of chapter 9. Every man, what does that mean? 
means every man. Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. You remember the widow's might in Mark chapter 12, verse 42? You remember Jesus was sitting over watching people go by the treasury and the temple, and the rich men gave out of their abundance. Now, we give them a hard time, but there's nothing wrong with giving out of your abundance. In fact, if you put your missions giving in your budget, there's nothing wrong with that. You say, well, that's not faith. Yes, it is, because you're saying I'm going to have a job next week or next year, right? There's a certain amount of faith. If your tires go bad on your car and you have to have another bill and you have to give your faith promise and do that, it'll become a sacrifice, all right? But giving out of your abundance is not a problem. It is God that giveth thee the ability to make, get wealth. Some people can make money. Did you know that? I, you know, I am not one of those pious preachers that believes it's okay that you're a bad person because you made some money. I have people in my church and business, I said, look, hey, it's not what you have, it's what has you. I said, I, if you're in business to make money, I hope you make a lot of it. Amen. I mean, why would you, why would you go on? Now, liberals believe that. They believe that, they, they believe that it's a sin. You know what sin is? Your personal property. I think we had a, a president that said, you didn't do that. We used to have a president like that. We don't have one like that now. You didn't do that. Really? Really? I didn't start this business. I didn't work my fingers to the bone uh, 14 hours a day trying to get... See, I don't think that's... I think that's fine. But the bottom line is, the bottom line is, uh, they gave out of their abundance, but the widow gave the two mites, and that was all she had. That really was a sacrifice, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, she didn't have anything left when she gave it. But the bottom line is, she gave. Everybody can give. Teach your children to give. We got a bunch of takers today. Give them a nickel and say, give your faith promise. You say, that's not going to set the world on fire. No, but it'll teach them how to give. I taught my children. I have never had to teach my children how to tithe. I've never said, do you tithe? I don't, I don't ask them that. They do. They're adults. My son, my daughters, they give the faith promise. You know why? As little kids, I'd give them a dime. i say, make sure you get... They didn't make money, so they didn't have a tithe, but they gave to, to missions. Why? I want to make them givers. They're givers. They're serving God today. Let's teach our children to be givers. It's not about the amount. It's what it does for them. I love what this has done for my church. I've got a bunch of givers. I don't have to twist their arms to give. They give because they want to give. They'd do it if I wasn't there. You know why? Because they've learned. And I'll tell you about the dilemma of giving in just a moment because it's interesting. And so the first dynamic of giving is everyone can give. Number two, giving determines receiving. Look at verse 6 of chapter 9. But this I say... He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. Now, if you don't understand agricultural terms, you can't understand the Bible. He's talking about farming. This is a farming area. If you, if, you cut, if you cut your seed bill in half and you sow half the seed this year that you did last year, you're going to get a half a crop. I got news for you. You reap what you sow, you reap where you sow, you reap more than you sow. But if you sow less than you did last year, you're going to less of, get less of a crop. Do you agree with that? That's so realistic. You know why God uses agricultural terms? We understand gardening, don't we? Some people treat, treat their garden differently than their giving to the Lord. And here's what he says. 
But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Don't you agree with that? I mean, that, is, that just makes sense to the garden. It makes sense with God. It makes sense with world evangelization. And so giving is possible for all. Everyone can give. Number two, you reap what you sow, not what you keep. You with me? And then the last thing, dynamic, is giving encounters disappointment. If you are a giver, someone will take advantage of you. You say, why'd you add that? Because it's true. <laughs> it's true. If they find out, look, they know our church gives a lot to missions. We have people always coming by wanting a handout for something. And you know what I do? I'm a realist, folks. I walk out and I say, you really? You have a need? I, walk, I say, let me see your car. I walk out there and they got a nice car, you know. I walk over and I look in the front seat, there's a pack of cigarettes, there's a beer can. I say, you don't need my money. You say, oh, that's not Christian. Yes, it is. No. Christians aren't, shouldn't be stupid, okay? You, you can't teach stupid. Did you know that? Amen. You can't teach stupid. I, I, I go over there and look and see what they got. I say, you don't. I have an old lady, an older lady. She's the sweetest old lady you ever seen in your life. She came in. She, I, I would want her to be my grandma when I saw her. She walked into our church and she said, I, I, need, I need money for gas. I said, bless your heart. I was convinced she was legitimate. And I said, you know what? We got plenty of gas out in our shop. And, I watched, and she's trying to stop me the whole way. And I said, no, I, got, I wasn't going to give her any money. I said, I got gas. And I mean, we got cans of gas out there. And I said, I, and I brought one out there. And she's, she's kind of fiddling and everything. And I opened her tank and I poured in and it runs out. I said, ma'am, you got a full tank. Two months later, she forgot she'd come by. And she shows up on a Sunday night in our lobby. I'm just telling you, this is the way it is. She shows up in our lobby and she said, I need money for gas. I said, aren't you that little old lady that came by that had a full tank of gas? And she went, oh. And she turned around and walked out. I'm not saying we should be stupid, folks. It, but I'll tell you this. I would rather, Jesus had 12 disciples and one was a devil. Now, Jesus extended a hand of friendship when he came to the garden and he kissed him. And Jesus called him a friend. And he knew. He said, betray us. Judas is scared. He betrays the Son of God with a kiss, Judas. And he still extended friendship. I'm just saying, I would rather support 140 missionaries like we do and one of them not be legitimate and taking the money and not doing anything than not to support anyone because I was afraid to give. You understand? There's some people that won't give unless somebody else gives. I don't care what other people do. I, I, this thing's between me and God. That's right. And the truth of the matter is, the dynamics of giving, everyone can give something. Everyone can be involved. God will let his children be involved in his great program because he's commanded us to do it. And God has never commanded us to do anything that he did not provide for. And the premise is God will finance his program of world evangelization because it's impossible for you to do, but he will use us. And if you give, someone will take advantage of you. Let me give you, let me end with the dilemma. That's the dynamics of giving. The dilemma of giving is this. I can't teach you to give. 
<laughs> Your pastor can't teach you to give. Now, someone can motivate you to give because of their example. You know how long it takes you to learn what you're doing here? If you've never been involved in Faith Promise, it'll take you three years to really learn it. You can participate those three years, but it'll take you three years to get it. I, I tell pastors, now I'm not saying everybody's the same. It may take you one year. But I promise you, if you participate three years, you will learn to give. You'll become a giver. I'll tell you what, I can't teach you to give. You know what? You have to give to learn to give. That's the only, that's the only way you can do it. That's the dilemma. No one, you know, I can... I can't do your praying for you. I can pray for you, but I can't pray for you. I can't do your giving for you. Okay? There's something I cannot do for you. I cannot take a first step for you. But I will tell you this. You can be motivated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ can motivate you to give. I want you to go to 2 Corinthians 8 and look at verse 8 and verse 9. And I started with this and I'll end with this. I speak not by commandment but by occasion of the forwardness of others. Now, the forwardness of others is that Corinth had said, we're going to give to help the church at Jerusalem in a drought. And that word got back to the Macedonians, and they said, well, if Corinth's going to do something, we want to do something. But they were poor, and they were afflicted, but they gave to their power, verse 3 of chapter 8. Now, to your power is whatever you have, and you may need it for something else. So that's the sacrifice, right? But beyond your power means you have to trust someone else, right? I usually use the illustration of, you see this you see this pulpit here? I could get this pulpit off here. I'm sure I can. And I could drag it to the lobby. I could do that. It would be hard, but I could do it. It's within my power to do that. I may not look like I can, but I could do it. But you see that big girl over there? If you expected me to get it down, I could push it and tear it up and hit down the bottom. But if you expect me to get it to the road, I could not do that. I would need a couple of you bigger guys. I could even supervise, let you do it. And we could get it there. But it's beyond my power. But if I trusted someone else to help me, I could get it done. They trusted God to allow them to give more. And Paul said, I witnessed them to give to their power. Look, if you don't give some of what you have, why should God allow you to give what you've never dreamed that you could give? Why should he do that? But that's what happened, and he's using now the Macedonians who were provoked by Corinth to challenge the Corinthians to make good the promise they made. That's what's going on here. And here's what he says in verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question. Do you know his grace? Have you experienced it? You see, that was the motive he used, and that's the greatest motive for giving. Because I have experienced God's grace. You know what grace is? Unmerited favor. God did for me what I could not do for myself. He saved my wicked soul. He paid my sin debt at Calvary. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. I could not do that. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And he says, for ye know by experience the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he left heaven, folks, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. If that doesn't motivate a person to give, I can't teach him to give. They're, 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 gonna, they're not going to give. 
And so I can't teach you to give. That's the dilemma of giving. Nobody can teach you to give. You have to learn to give by giving. For God so loved the world, the extent of his love, he so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The dogma of giving, it's dogmatic. It's dogmatic. Because God is dogmatic about reaching the world. Every person is responsible. The dimensions of giving, the tithe, a consistent offering for the local church, offerings, occasional offerings because of need, grace, missions giving to reach the world. The dynamics of giving, everyone can give. The widow gave her might. Giving affects receiving. If you do give, you will be taken advantage of sometimes. Don't let that keep you from giving. And the dilemma, no man can teach you to give. You have to give to learn to give. Let's pray.